You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome back to Earth Station Track, a show where we track from the early days on NBC to the future on Paramount Plus and everywhere in between. I'm Charles Kelso, and it's my privilege to introduce the Earth Station Trek crew, Keith Johnson. Greetings, everyone. Alan Seiler. I forgot the quote I was going to use. Something about being a dick from Ohio. That's all I got. <laughs> Chicago. And Ver- Chicago. <laughs> and Veronica Dashiell. Hi. I got a little thrown. My browser wouldn't play the intro, so I was sort of flying blind there for a minute. <laughs> Welcome back to the show. I'll have to cue you next time. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll get some news this week. Oh, sure. Let's get to the news. Okay, so um, three, well, no, four days ago, as we're recording, this is on the ninth. So this took place on the fifth, uh, Sunday night. Star Trek Strange New Worlds was one of the big winners. It took home three different caft cads. Do you know what wow. that is? No Heck idea. Caft no cads. Idea. It is the Canadian Alliance of Film and Television Costume Arts and Design. Okay. So it took home three costuming awards for its first season, beating out Star Trek Discovery in a couple of its categories. Yeah. And I gotta okay. say, the I think a lot of the costume work in that first season was really, really spectacular, especially that Mm -hmm. fantasy episode, which of course, you know, I mean, me saying that it's spectacular is one thing, but it actually got awards for it. So, (laughs) right. Congratulations. Strange new worlds. Yeah. It's, it's it's a cool situation to be in where it's Star Trek show versus Star Trek show at these awards. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Some of its other competitors were uh, Snowpiercer, The Expanse, What We Do in the Shadows, Titans, and a few other ones. But uh, and a show called Yellow Jackets, I'm not familiar with. Okay, I think that's on uh, Amazon. I, I thought so. Yeah, I, I'm not. I don't know anything about it though. So hmm. yeah, um, three Caftcad awards. Awesome. Well, that's some hefty competition. So good for them. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. All right. That's all, right. all I got. <laughs> Keith, do we have some hit this week in Trek this week? <laughs> yeah, I do. Um, found something very interesting. Back on the um, on the fifth, the sixth of March, nineteen fifty-six, on a television anthology series called the Chevron Theater, was presented a script and a show called The Secret Weapon of One Seventeen also known as the Secret Defense of 117. Again, this is 1956. The plot of the show is about an alien couple who come to Earth to contact another alien couple who has been embedded on Earth for 30 years and have been observing and categorizing and analyzing our defenses as a prelude to possible invasion by this alien race. What I found very interesting about this is that the original actor who was supposed to be in this show had had to be replaced and who replaced him as the main alien male who came to earth to study our defenses was one Ricardo Montalban. Oh, now the more important thing about this weird, this thing called the secret weapon or the secret defense of 117, it was Gene Roddenberry's first science fiction script. Oh, nice. Yeah. This is an episode written by Gene Roddenberry. And unless you're a very certain age, like my age, and watch stuff like this, you probably never knew there used to be something called the Chevron Theater Anthology. That's like (laughs) going way back to Alcoa Presents and all these other things like that. But I found it interesting that Gene Roddenberry's, this was not his first television script, interestingly, but his first science fiction script a full eight years before he wrote the first outline of Star Trek. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty wild. Another interesting thing, on the 7th of March, 1969, Star Trek, the original series, aired for the first time the episode, The Savage Curtain. Okay. And y'all may remember the one, the easiest one to say is that's the one Abraham Lincoln. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And the rock creatures. (laughs) But do you know what else is significant about that episode? And it involves one of the cast members. 
What is it? The Savage Curtain, there's a scene in here where the, the Excalibur race called Plan Lincoln. You remember on the bridge, he goes up to Uhura and he says, what a charming negress. I knew that right. was what you were going to say. And then he <laughs> yeah. apologized. And then she's like, hey, no biggie. You know, don't worry about stuff like that. Yeah. Her lines on that show were her final lines on the series. She oh. was not on the final two episodes. And so that was her last appearance because she wasn't available for the two episodes that followed, which was All Our Yesterdays, which is the one where Kirk and Spock and McCoy go through that little time portal on that planet. Right. Mr. Pause is running. And then, of course, Turnabout Intruder. So Savage Curtain, that recommend that was Nichelle Nichols' exit from the series. Hmm. And, of course, the time when she recorded those final lines, she had no idea of knowing if she would ever be back for anything Star Trek again. And that includes yeah. the animated series, because none of that was in the works at right. the time. Right, right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and then um, one more I have, which I think is just important because it's one character. Um, just one birthday, and that's on the 5th of March, 1975, was one Jolene Blaylock. Who played to Paul on Enterprise? And some people may not know this, which is so interesting because she was introduced in a very certain way as kind of a sex pot Vulcan and all this kind of stuff. I think she did a great job. But what's very interesting about Jolene Blaylock is she was a true Trekkie and is a true mm-hmm. Trekkie. And mm-hmm. she'd been watching the show since she was a child with her brothers and her father. And so she was one of the people, unlike a lot of the other stars, who knew Star Trek coming in and really, really was just ecstatic about being part of Star Trek, which I think sometimes makes the fact that Enterprise only got a four-year run and, well, it's being appreciated now by people that didn't get the appreciation I think it deserved, you know, even more interesting. Yeah, absolutely. She she was very outspoken about her mm. displeasure with uh, the way that Enterprise went, and she, and she did it from the point of view of being a Trekkie, you know? Mm. Wow. Like, as a fan of the show, she was the one, she kind of voiced fans criticisms of it while she's on the show <laughs> that's <laughs> not the, not that's the smartest good. move but you know it, it, it worked out okay for her i guess yeah they didn't fire her. they're not yeah they're not getting rid of to paul yeah. <laughs> no <laughs> firm is not firing her yeah right. exactly. she was great on that show though i think she was mm. really good as to paul i think so too she loved got her. she got better as the show went on and some people may not know that originally they were, they were thinking of making there was a couple of things there was also a thought originally making to paul uh, part romulan which uh, mm. they, they were thinking about giving her more emotional beats the same way they were thinking about doing that with savik in the movies right. and also of course i'm sure you guys know but the original thought was that to the lady mm-hmm. from a mock time was supposed to be on the ship and i gotta tell you sometimes the the fan service and callbacks kills me. I would have just hated it if they had actually had to power on the on the Enterprise. So yeah, that wouldn't right. have worked. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, and that's this week in Strack history. Awesome. Well, we'll take a quick break to promote a fellow ESO Network podcast show. But stay right there because when we get back, we'll be talking about the fourth episode of Star Trek: Picard season three. yourself one question punk what the hell is a cigar nerd welcome to the cigar nerds podcast it's the only show where two guys smoke cigars and talk about nerd culture do you like movies games comics sci-fi pop culture and beer do you like science nerd news explosions for no apparent reason then this is the show for you it's like being in a nerdy cigar shop but for your ears Check us out at CigarNerdPodcast.com. So that, this week was the fourth episode of Star Trek Picard Season 3. Uh, it, it's, next week, we're halfway point. Right. That's insane. Wow. We're zipping through this thing. <laughs> we, we are zipping through this thing, but they've been stuck in a ne- along. <laughs> they've been stuck in a nebula for three episodes. Yeah, I don't Basically. care. It's been a fu- it's been interesting in the nebula. Yes. The first season they were on Earth for three seasons for three episodes. <laughs> oh, I know. I'm, I would much rather have them be in a nebula on the ship than right. You know, mm-hmm. these are big, hefty episodes too. Yeah, yeah, they really are. You like can tell they're. They- they're dialogue heavy too, especially yeah. today's. This one's very talky, right? Yeah. I just I don't well, think it needed to be a whole hour. 
they could have told the story they were telling in 45 minutes. They just I agree, Alan. I was watching it and I started getting a little discovery deja vu. Just a little bit. You know, we always talk about how in Discovery sometimes oh, yeah. they spend a lot of time talking. And there was just a little bit of that in here. And also, I got to say personally, as, as I guess jump to the end some, I don't really like the way Riker has been portrayed ultimately. No? Even when I know he's got some family problems, his 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 kind of caution and him even doing weird stuff like quoting regulations to kind of mm-hmm. hide. Mm-hmm. He reminds me of all the guest stars in the original series that were always kind of wimpy and Kirk had to step in and tell him get lost and I'll take <laughs> over. So I I I yeah. I I, I kind of don't like Riker's portrayal here. And I yeah, forgot but, to throw out a spoiler warning. So if you're watching oh, this, yeah. spoilers for Star Trek Picard, <laughs> no win scenario. Uh, but go ahead, Alan. But do you do you at least understand the reasoning that they're giving him for being more cautious and more hesitant now? I mean, I it's, it's not like I it's just, just out it. of the blue. They they've mm-hmm. sort of built you know, uh, a floor for him to stand on. I do. And I, and I get it. And I get it. Get right. Cause he lost a son and he's, um, he's lost a son and he's been emotionally crippled because of that. And he's got problems with Deanna. And so I get, I get, I absolutely get that. He's trying not to take unnecessary risk. And for that matter, neither is captain Shaw. And mm. so maybe I'm used to the cowboy captains, but yeah, I just sure. thought, I thought that I thought that Riker was just a little bit on the other side of being too cautious. And it may be honestly, cause he talks so much today. You know, sometimes it's kind of like do it and move on. But there was so much talking about why I feel this way and so much motivation. I'm thinking, yeah, uh, Riker, I used to know wasn't that cautious. Again, I know why, but I thought it was just a little much for me, for me personally. Okay. All right. And, and it's tied in too. I know, Alan, I know we had talked a bit about this arc. It seemed like they were setting up with Riker and Deanna having marital problems. Yeah. Has your opinion on that changed? Very much so. Right. I, I, at first, it just seemed like that typical television trope that they're doing to you know mm-hmm. create drama for this show or whatever but the fact that this whole thing feeds into it that her being an empath affects her when he has lost his yeah. when he's just like walking around like an empty shell you know mm-hmm. and and it affects her to have to like absorb that so he yeah. separated himself from her to not hurt her Right. So, yeah, yeah, I I've, I loved it. I thought it was great. And so now I'm like, OK, well, so it's not like they're, you know, on the verge of divorce because the irreconcilable differences or whatever. No, it's, it's right. an actual legitimate emotional situation that they are trying to respond to. Yeah, I agree with you. And we had both been a little snarky about that early in the season. <laughs> but I mean, it's a good point, too. I mean, grief is difficult enough to deal with right. for a human. But imagine being empathic and you could feel right. the, the grief or lack of it from those around you. Yeah. I mean, that's super tough. You know, I mean, totally. Deanna's having to live with getting nothing back from her husband when maybe she expects to. Yeah. And plus, I mean, she's raising a daughter as well who's dealing with the loss of her brother. So, I mean, right. it's it's a lot. Absolutely. So, yeah, I, I, I'm enjoying Riker's arc. I agree with it. He's mm-hmm. being too cautious. Yeah. You know, this isn't the Riker. The Riker of the series would never be like, well, we're doomed. Everyone say goodbye to your loved ones and we'll sit around for a few hours until, <laughs> until hopefully someone will rescue us. You know, it'd be right. like, all right, right, ideas. Who's got an idea? You, you, Absolutely. you know, tell the last, right. we're going to fight to the last moment. I, I did think it was a bit nihilist. It yeah, was, it was sort of like, oh, well, let's just give up. Nothing but, to do except wait it out. It right. did yeah. seem a little, you know, like. But with a purpose. I mean, it's called out in the script that that this isn't like him. You know, they've been out of they've been in situations before. Yeah. You know. Right. Um. So I I think it's it's interesting that we we're with all these characters and, I mean, I've seen some fans complain that they're out of character, but I don't think they're out of character. I think they've just changed over twenty exactly. years. Exactly. And. I like that. That's, I think it's it's logical and it's feeding into the storytelling. I think it's doing they're doing really well with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did have a bit of a problem with everybody going into the holodeck and hanging out in the bar waiting to die. Yes, <laughs> right. My I thought was like with the holodeck in general. See, I thought that was going to be like, hey, we could pull the t- the holodeck battery packs out. And yes, <laughs> me too. You know, right. Or at yeah. the very least, I was thinking the holodeck exists on a completely separate and independent power source so that we can use it to entertain ourselves when nothing else works. And I thought that's going to be how they bring Moriarty into it. 
somehow. Mm. So yeah, mm. yeah. But I, I had the thought like they should do that for the shields and the and the engines and yes, thank you. <laughs> so the thrusters work when everything else doesn't. Right, <laughs> right. What did you think, um, Ronnie? Oh, I I just like the bucket. Oh, <laughs> that was my thing. Yeah, you I did. was so mad about. You got the bucket. fired up about the bucket. Go ahead. I, I got so mad about the bucket because Odo was the bucket. Odo was the bucket because that was the only thing he knew. Normal changelings do not use the bucket, even when they have to like go back into their gelatinous forms. Well, where they do they do the it then? Well, it like, doesn't matter. Uh, Odo only used the bucket to a certain point, and then he realized that he could just take other shapes, and he changed his his quarters. So he had the he he eventually gave up the bucket as well. But you're right; we, we've never seen another changeling yeah, with a bucket. That's true. I didn't. Even I think wonder about if those it. guys that bucket. So what if those guys that invaded Earth were like <laughs> showing up with their bucket under their arm? Oh God! What's your whole self security about this? Oh my gosh! This is how you spot changeling in it. I'm like, there's no residue changeling in there. They don't leave behind changeling. That's part of that's them. true too. Like you can't scan for the changeling. That would that would have been super helpful in the Dominion. Or yeah. well, you know, okay, I'm glad I'm not the only one who noticed that because I wrote down. There's two problems with this. First off, as they established in Deep Space Nine. When a changeling becomes a thing, it becomes that thing, and you can't mm -hmm. scan for it. So if the changing is running around as a rock or a wall or another crewman, supposedly you can't scan for their DNA only when they're back into their changeling state. And also, Veronica, I thought the same thing as you. Everything that is a changeling is part of a changeling. They wouldn't leave pieces of themselves behind in a bucket. And I, I don't also sense. don't get why the face wobbled after a punch. Like it should. Well, Odo would do that. Would someone throw a knife at him and that sort of thing? He sort of yeah. ripples, and it would ripple. Yeah, yeah. But apparently, you didn't even need the scans, or you know, like in DS Nine, they did the the blood scan. You know, where you'd cut your hand. Mm -hmm. You don't even need that. All you have to do is ask him a question. <laughs> uh, so I think we've established that this this is not the Great Links A Squad that broke off. If they were going to do callbacks, they should have done slightly better callbacks because you remember that on Deep Space Nine, they developed, they developed weapons that could... Um, they developed scans for changelings. And they developed weapons that could destroy a changeling because that was used mm -hmm. several times in Deep Space Nine. And they so do like I'll, phaser sweeps and that kind of thing. Right, right. right. So they should have called back more to that. But now yeah. you guys got me thinking. I'm, I'm now picturing like a, I'm picturing a field of changelings getting ready to go into battle, and every one of them is holding a bucket in their hands, <laughs> yeah. like standing at attention with a bucket in their hands because that was kind of funny. Yeah. And the music from Fantasia is playing when the brooms keep <laughs> multiplying and they're carrying their bucket. <laughs> see, see, I was thinking about this today, Veronica, because you had talked about it this morning, and I don't think we ever found out where Odo's bucket came from. Because right. I also thought it was a little silly that that bucket would look just like Odo's bucket or yes. very similar to it. So maybe he was in that bucket when they found him in the Denorius belt and he kept it. So maybe young changelings use a bucket and then they grow out of it. That's my, that's my, that's my headcanon now. Okay, I'll, I'll, I, I, I'm I'm good with that. Okay, I, I can accept I'm, that. I've got a few of these as we go along. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> also, right. the change the the changeling morphing into its gel, gel, gelatinous form was yeah. really bad. I don't think it's bad. It's it's they it look it's super gross different. now. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it wasn't like smooth and yeah. Odo was no. always kind of like honey or like amber or something honey. like. Yeah. Yes, right. this looked like fur. It looked like a horda. <laughs> it kind of. Yes. Yeah, that's true. All right, you want to grab right. some comments? Yeah, I was going to say, I've got a stack of them over here. Right. Um, awesome. Let me see where to start. Let's see. Michael Phillips. We'll start over here. Michael Phillips says up, Michael? he loves the Excalibur. So this is going back. We had comments all the way back from news and the and the. Uh, <laughs> sorry, history, everybody. So. Sorry, guys. Yeah, sorry, y'all. Um, he does. <laughs> I do an impression, which is probably lousy, but it amuses me, of the ex-Calvians. That's hilarious. Okay, you record so... that and let us hear it, Michael. Call us on our hotline. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. 307-387-1701. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Michael Phillips, more importantly, says this was his favorite episode so far. That's awesome. really interesting. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Wade says you don't think the loss of his son would change Riker? I do. I do. I do. I do. It just changed him a little much for me because in combat situations I would think that a lot more of that Riker would come forth that would be a little bit more action oriented than than what he I saw. Him. Just just a smidgen. 
He wants him to be changed season. by the experience, but but he still wants him to be the same as he used to be. Well, sometimes <laughs> that's what snaps you out of it in life or death situations. Well, I can yeah. see him. That is true. Sad. That's a good point. Yeah, I thought I, again. I, he was just a little bit on the other side of too cautious for me. Just a little bit. Yeah, we are still early in the season, so I'm exactly. I bet we'll get that later on. Oh, I'm hundred percent mm-hmm. certain that's coming. Um, Matt Swetman says hundred percent agreed with Michael Phillips. Great payoffs for things set up in the previous three episodes. Mm-hmm. Oh, so you guys are loving this episode. That's awesome. Michael Phillips says, yeah, it's weird because I basically predicted everything that would happen, but it was even better than I predicted. The asteroid payoff was great. Yep. Yes. Um, right. Exactly. Uh, I keep wanting to say tiger beat. Cause that, you know, magazine <laughs> in the seventies. It, it, exactly. Um, says, LOL, you guys so beat me to the punch on all these points. Awesome. Dan Lecky says it re- something reminded him of Reed in Shuttlepod one. I don't know exactly what that refers to, what, what it was that reminded him of Reed. Right. But Matt Sweatman says, sure, you can take away life support if the power's needed elsewhere, but that power for the holodeck is off limits. <laughs> Darn right. I have got to have my holo sex if I'm going to die in a you know, <laughs> airless, fiery. Anyway, right. um, Tiger Beat also says, just another thought. The captain or CO is very influential on the mood of the crew. I agree. Mm-hmm. Another reason I want it right could be a little bit more action oriented. Yeah. Just a True. little bit. Michael Phillips says, well, every living thing leaves cells behind, like dead skin cells, waste, etc. Surely changelings would leave something behind. There's got to be some nope. residue. Nope. Nope. Every, every <laughs> single cell of the changeling is part of the changeling. So they, they never leave residue behind. At least not that we ever saw before. Especially well, not that much goop in a bucket. But they certainly can because the drop becomes the ocean just as the ocean <laughs> becomes the drop. Help me out here, Veronica. <laughs> no, they're, they're not in the great link. They don't leave anything behind. And when they leave the great link, they don't leave anything behind. I'll say Kira has a stronger stomach than I do. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's, those changes were pretty gross in this one. They really were, weren't they? They look like something from, um, oh, what's his name? They look like something from the Cronenberg movie to me. Yeah, that's true. Mm, I thought it was cool. That's though. a good point. I, 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 I do think it's a cool effect. I'm not bragging yeah. on the effect. I just, yeah, yeah. I just, the differences are funny. But you remember <laughs> in, in the last season of Disco, it, it, it seemed like powdery or dusty, you know? It didn't seem yeah. liquid. That's so true. at least this is an improvement on that. Agreed. Um. Dan Leckie also says that he agrees that the visual effects for the changelings is awful. Okay. I don't, I wouldn't go that far, but I think it's different. Right. And he also says Riker's nihilism reminded, Oh, it was Riker's okay. nihilism. That is what reminded him of Reed. Okay. That makes gotcha. sense. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. One, yeah. Reed was a little bit on, we're going to die. Let's just die with honor and dignity rather than somebody like Kirk who'd probably be fighting to the very last second. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Sure, yeah. Yep. And, okay, two more. Okay. These people are chatty tonight. I love it. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. Tiger Blade 2002 says, one unexpected thing in this episode has nothing to do with it, but the original Captain Kane is a tactical walking stick you can buy on Amazon. Oh. How much Interesting. I see a cosplay coming on. Right. <laughs> <laughs> And Dan says, watching this show is a great way of celebrating my 40th birthday. Well, happy birthday, birthday. Dan. Happy birthday. I wonder if it's, I mean, he's in Scotland. I wonder if it's his actual birthday here in America. I don't know. I don't know how far apart we are. I would guess guess so, because it's the same day. (laughs) Happy birthday, Dan, and happy birthday to a fellow Pisces, because my birthday is Saturday, but I ain't 40. (laughs) Not yet. (laughs) <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, Michael Phillips says, "Can we just talk about how great Todd Stashwick was in this episode? Mm-hmm. Brilliant character. I agree. I yeah. I have really enjoyed him this whole season. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's just been fantastic, and I love the character. And that's what I thought of when Michael Phillips a minute ago said, 
I predicted everything that was going to happen in this episode, but it was better than I thought. Yeah. That was my thought about Captain Shaw because I expected that he was involved with Wolf 359. I think everyone probably did, but I his, did. okay, I well, al- almost everybody, <laughs> a few people, <laughs> someone did <laughs> because of his anti Borg thing. You know, but his mm. delivery oh. of that monologue was incredible. Yeah, it, was. it really was. That was a highlight and, of the episode. And I kind of expect something like that because they named him Captain Shaw after Robert Shaw um, uh, uh, from Jaws. Uh, not from Jaws, but he was in Jaws. <laughs> so I thought maybe we'd get kind of a Clint thing with him. And we did. But mm. um, man, mm-hmm. he's a powerhouse of an actor. Yeah, totally. Totally. I- I'm going to say um, I don't mind cursing in star trek episodes and i know some people are opposed to that and there's one person in particular i can think of who just hates it yeah so even though i'm fine with it i don't really care about it and i certainly think that in the situation that they found themselves in this week where they all (laughs) thought they're gonna die i don't have any problem with it i don't like it coming out of picard's mouth i don't like picard saying the f word right it just seems it just seems wrong i just I used to get more worked up about that when my daughter was like when Star Trek first came back in 2017, my daughter was 11 and I was excited to watch Star Trek with her. And all of a sudden it was TVMA. So I had a lot of (laughs) annoyances related to that. But also, I mean, there's a lot of things about Star Trek that were just the way they were because of television. Like the fact that people didn't curse because it was on television and it was a family show. But also they didn't use contemporary music because it was too expensive. (laughs) But it's sort of the aesthetic of Star Trek, though, that it doesn't upset me when it when it's different. It's just like, huh? Yeah, Star Trek is sort of like a stylized universe. Exactly. And so when they contemporize the the dialogue and now every episode has a 20th century song in it. And yeah. it's just I, it's I don't much. like the song use. I, right. no. It just it just takes me out of 25th century. You know, you can save some money by not using 20th century songs, Star Trek Paramount Plus. And I like oh. that they sat around listening to <laughs> opera and jazz and reading Shakespeare like the you know high minded I mean? stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You can imagine they're smarter than we are, <laughs> which they are. Yeah, so. <clears throat> I didn't. I didn't dislike Picard dropping the f bomb so much as it didn't seem right coming out of his mouth. It just didn't right. hit him. His character. yeah, that's what I'm saying. Um, I, I, it just yeah, it right. seems out of character. And you know, it, it was it was such a moment in season one where the admiral cursed him out using the mm-hmm. f word. You know, the effing mm-hmm. hubris, and and that seemed. Like that, that, that made a point, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, mm-hmm. this is the great Picard. And here's a woman who is just not all that enamored with his greatness and is going to tell you it shouldn't, it, it, it doesn't work coming the other way around. It doesn't work coming from him. I don't think. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's I just bet. me. Um, I'm, okay. I'm sure a couple of things like it though. Yeah. But does Patrick, cause he, I don't know. Po- I think, it seemed like maybe. he was opposed to it at all. Not just saying it, but having other people say it too. Anyway, um, Matt Swetman says that he's okay with Tilly using the F-bomb occasionally. And that's okay, fine. Yes. Um, anonymous Facebook user says Tilly can say anything and make it sound innocent. Aw. <laughs> Tilly fan, um, huh? And Tiger Blade 2002 says, agree with the use <laughs> of contemporary music. It's a lot this year. It is, and it mm. sometimes it works, and sometimes it just you know doesn't. Sometimes yeah. it it sets a good tone for the scene or whatever. But I don't need it, you know. Yeah. I just don't mm-hmm. need it. At least in at least at Guinan's bar, that she was yes. running that bar in in contemporary times. So yes. it kind of goes with the aesthetic of the bar. It's like a twentieth exactly. century historical bar. Mm. That's exactly know? what I was thinking of. Yes. Yeah. But oh well, I mean that's not that hurts the episode for me or anything like that. It's just one of the things that I liked about old Star Trek, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So I have a question: What was up with the captain of the Shrike and it cutting the thing off and the head floating in the air? And what was <laughs> yeah. that? That's I just have, goofiness. That was, that's goofiness and gross. Is she a changeling? I, well, even if she is, why she have to cut a hand off and it floated in the air and right, turned into right. a sh- I yeah. literally was, I literally right. was trying to figure out what was going on. I'd taken some right. um, I'd taken some muscle relaxers <laughs> and I thought maybe they were messing with me. I, I think like, she took some muscle relaxers too. She just took too many yeah. muscle relaxers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is that whether is 
I'm I'm lost. What was that? If she if she's not a changeling, was that some supposed to be some way to communicate with changelings? I literally I, don't know. I don't what think. That was. I think we'll find out at some point. Yeah, I'm sort of waiting yeah. to see on that. If she's a changeling, and if changelings now have the ability to cut a hand off and talk to each other, I'm gonna right. across subspace. That's gonna be a little bit weird. If that yeah. thing, <laughs> like that table, if that was part of a device that a changeling can put part it, of itself it on, that it, and then. I, I'm waiting to see. I'm waiting to see. Yeah. But I hope changelings mm-hmm. aren't just telepathic across space and talking to their hands now. Yeah. <laughs> Talk, Talk to, to the, the hand. hand. <laughs> right. and, and also looking humanoid. What? What? I don't know why the why why would the changeling look humanoid on the other side? Good point. Well, oh, oh, oh. Okay. Yeah. 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 I gotcha. Ish. I yeah, but yeah. Ish. Totally. Right. Patrick Anderson says, I can't decide whether I like Jordy's daughter. Her name dropping daddy's name is off-putting someone. Keep in mind that this week it wasn't her dropping daddy's name. It was a changeling trying to convince Seven of Nine that she is a, the actual person. Right. Last week it was her. Last week it was her. But I thought last <laughs> right. week's name drop was was really good. Yeah, I thought that yeah. was appropriate too. It, it made it feel like Jordy was a part of the show, even though he's not mm-hmm. been introduced yet. Yeah. Right. I, I like her. I, I like the character. I do, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really do, too. Michael Phillips says, I don't mind the contemporary music in Picard, but it pulled me right out of Strange New Worlds and Spock Amok. Hmm. Okay. I can see that. I think it did me, too. Mm. Um, Tiger Blade 2002 says, <laughs> and if it was part of her, wouldn't it already know her thoughts? Right. I don't think it was supposed to be part of her. I, I think don't think that it maybe- is, yeah. If she's a changeling, I think that that part of her was just animated by whatever. I don't. I'm, and why would I don't, she yeah. have to cut it off? Just like what? It, It'd be even I'm weirder not. if it was like this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would have been so fantastic. But the thing is, she had she cut it off. That's but true. then she it just slithered right it. back up onto her. Why didn't? Why wouldn't it just slither off yeah. by itself? Yes, exactly. Why didn't it yeah. slither off? Yeah, goofiness. I'm not getting it. Now, one thing I did like about the scene, outside of that weirdness with the hand and the strange floaty head, was her going from almost abject fear when that when the floating head threatened her, and then she goes back to the chair, and then she instantly is that calculate maniac again, and she's like, yeah, ah, that's what I get. Yeah, it seems like that's an act. Yeah, uh-huh. like, like that's a put on for the crew or for whomever. Yeah, yeah. or at least she the was... other person is scary enough that she drops that nonsense when she's talking to yeah. floating head. That's yeah. what yeah, I think she it was, is. She was terrified when they were talking. Yeah. It, when it was talking to her, I thought that was an interesting thing. Also, right. did you notice? Did you notice how they do keep playing the V'ger music? I love her that, shit. No. That blaster beam yeah. sound. I love yes. that. Yes, <laughs> I love it. Um, I'm. I'm having a hard time with Vatic. I, I was willing to like her the first time we saw her, but mm-hmm. man, now it's like eh, she's just not. Nothing's happened interesting, you know. If she's going to be the villain, I need her to actually step up and do something. Is she looking one note for you, Alan? I guess. I mean, she was two notes this week: scared and back to normal mm-hmm. Vatic. But yeah, it just didn't. Right. Nothing's working for me so far. Mm-hmm. And um, you could do the big evil bad guy in the big evil ship. Uh, and it'd be interesting, like the guy um, from Year of Hell springs to mind. Yes. Oh, yeah. Super interesting. Yeah, right. And it was that yes. same sort of setup where big evil guy with a big evil space gun, you know, um, but it worked. <laughs> I I'm, I'm, I need more from Vatic to yeah. care about the, <laughs> the <Exactly. God. laughs> and And, you know, first of all, this episode was the longest of the season so far. It was mm-hmm. It was 58 minutes. I mean, I literally, I, I get to watch this on my lunch break, and I had like 50 seconds when the episode was over to get back to my desk and clock back in. So I need that to stop, first of all. Second of all, it seemed so much longer than it actually was because it didn't break it up with the other storylines that are being told. So we didn't get any yeah. Worf and, and I Rafi. I very disappointed you know? with no Worf or Rafi. Yeah, me too. And 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 so and I think you know they didn't want to pull focus away from the crew focusing on its own mortality, you know what I mean? Mm. But yeah. first of all, I felt the loss of, you know, not getting the the continuation of that other storyline, but at the same time, it just made this episode drag, I thought. Mm. Yeah, it was a little it was a little, uh, I felt it was a little of dra- it dragged a bit as well. What did y'all think of Beverly's incredible powers of deduction to deduce that the nebula was a pregnant 
organic entity. Right. And the next energy burst was going to be the last and be the labor. That was the thing that, I mean, I can, I can kind of go along with her deducing that maybe these are contractions, but that she knew that the next one was going to be the last one. That was a bit much. Yeah. 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 I, I had some problems with this one. I, I liked that they're using her doctor ability. She's been a space doctor for a long time. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I like that she's active in, in solving the, the situation. She's the 100%. only one who came up with a solution when everyone else was just waiting to die. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> you know, exactly. I like that she recognized something in nature um, that she has sort of experience with. Exactly. Agreed. Um, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was a bit of a stretch for her because for all she knew, heck, it you know, I hate to say this, for all she knew, it could have been convulsing about the throw up because they're inside of it. You know, it That's could have true. been other bodily functions other than yeah. other than giving birth. So I thought deducing that it was a living being. OK, that's OK, because they've seen that everything yeah. from Tin Man to the cloud creature in the um, the animated series mm-hmm. uh, to the giant amoeba in the immunity syndrome. But deducing mm-hmm. that it was pregnant, that those are contractions. And then, like when she said, oh, the next one's going to be last. I thought that was a little too far. I, I had trouble buying that, but yeah. it was a lot of techno babble. And I think because it was such a talky episode, I, my head was starting to hurt by then <laughs> with all that stuff like that. I just really liked that the surges caused the lights to come on on the ship. And so I could Thank see what you. was going on. Like, yeah. I, I wish that phenomenon would just follow them around the whole season. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. I was like, hey, I, I mean, I, I understand what's going on here, but at least we can see what's happening on the ship. Right. Yeah, because it was funny because when they when they used all the power on the ship, I noted that too, Charles, because they could still at least have even those doggone red lights. But he, like even they didn't have any emergency lighting; only the holodeck was working. So I, that just yeah. didn't make much the sense. Holodeck, holodeck was Come working. On. Yeah, <laughs> they could have had that scene. I know they want to draw a parallel between him and five years ago, him. When he's mm-hmm. sitting in the restaurant or whatever, and and you know, I know they're drawing that parallel, but that they didn't have to have the holodeck have its own independent, you know, power source that we can't use to power the weapons or whatever. Right. They could have had that scene anywhere on the ship. Ex- I'm glad they at least attempted to explain it, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, I. Me- to, I Real quick though, that I think mm-hmm. that's a holdover from Voyager. That's something they established early in Voyager was that the holodeck's on a separate power thing. I think to justify why they're using the holodeck while they're lost it. in the Delta Quadrant. Right. But there is a precedent for it. But yeah, I wish they would have just had yeah. a, a bar on the ship. That yeah. that bar set must have been way expensive. Right. <laughs> they they got to use right. it. And they kept it in storage for the past however long they've had it. Well, right. no, because they they shot seasons two and three back to back. I forgot yeah. about that. So that that set probably was still standing. Mm. Anyway, yeah, let me get comments. So going back a little bit, Michael Phillips posits that maybe Vatic is half changeling. I'm not sure how that would be. I don't know. know. Maybe 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 here and Odo figured it out. Mm, That's true. (laughs) Uh, Matt Swipman says they could have tried to disguise the changeling as LaForge better, though. There wasn't really (laughs) any mystery there. No, No. not at all. I mean, come on. The camera angle, the music, everything told you this is not really her. It was, it was also, she wouldn't have left the bridge. Right. Yeah. Um, smack my head. That moniker was a gift for my son. I, I guess Tiger Blade is the moniker he's referring to. Okay. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> yep. Dan Leckie says, oh, Lord, I can't believe you guys have finally seen the floating head scene. Yeah. yeah. That, yeah. Was, that was wild, Dan. We're trying to figure that one out. Patrick Anderson wonders what Vatic's motivation is. And we're all wondering that. Yeah. yeah. We don't know. Trust me. No. Yeah. Okay. Tiger Blade <laughs> nice. 2002. She seems like she's just a plot device to move the story, the storyline along purely. Is, it's is not she even really... moving the storyline along. Right. That's what I'm kind of wondering. Yeah. I mean, I don't feel like she's had that. She's not been that much of a catalyst. Yeah. She's been a, barrier and nothing else. Yeah, she's been sort of a plot motivator. Like they this adventure wouldn't be happening if it wasn't for her. Yeah, but I don't know. Anyway, we'll see. Patrick Anderson says, I might be jumping ahead, but what exactly was stolen from Daystrom? Lore before the Moriarty Harlogram? All of those things are possibilities, except for B4. I mean it could be B4, but we know that lore is in this season and we know Moriarty is. So yeah, it's one of those things, I'm sure. 
And remember mm-hmm. that they basically said, which I find interesting, that whatever was stolen from Daystrom was more dangerous than that yeah. portal weapon. And that's yeah. kind of frightening. Whatever that I, means. I mean, I don't know that, that that lore qualifies for that. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Exactly. It depends on what they do with him. Matt Sweatman says, I suspect next week is all Worf and Rafi. I, I doubt it. You're not going to have Jordy, a, a season of Picard with no Picard in it. Yeah, we need Jordy at some point. I would love a Worf Rafi episode, though. I, I don't, I'm not going to lie. I, would, I, I think that would be great. I need that. It's interesting mm-hmm. that um, uh, Michelle Hurd was in, in the credits, even though she wasn't in the episode. Mm-hmm. Anyway, probably contractual because yeah. she's a cast. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. Uh, Dan Leckie says that he misses Laris. I love Laris. Yeah. Love her. Every season I say they should take Laris with them and they don't. They never listen to us. She'd no. be super. She would have guessed that early in the episode. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Michael Phillips says, it's funny. That was my favorite storyline in previous episodes, but I didn't even notice it was missing because this episode was so good. Mm-hmm. I like this episode a lot. I didn't get the high off it like I got last 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 week. Yeah. Is still my favorite. Yeah, last me week too. Like, I was jazzed up. I've watched that like four times since then. It was so good. Yeah. But um, yeah. this week was it was good. It was just like a content contem- It was just talky episode. <laughs> Contemplative. <laughs> there you go. It was that too. <laughs> Dan, like he says, cigar smoking changeling Vatic has been speculated to finally be a chameleoid like. Um, somebody in like TUC, Martia. yeah, come look like Martia, yeah, 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 and she, yeah, she smoked also. That's possible. I wouldn't really think out yeah, right that's now. That's true. That's true. Well, that's we're in an age now where any, no matter how obscure yeah. the reference is, it's possible. Exactly. Okay, so just a couple more to go. Tiger Blade 2002. Could it be that the writers are being influenced by the execs, and I use that term loosely, to dumb the script down? Uh, for us lowly viewers, I don't think mm, so. I mean, I don't think I, so. I'm sure they're. I'm sure the execs are involved. There's a lot of executive producers, and I'm sure that the Paramount yeah. Plus folks, the CBS Studio folks, have a lot to say. But I would, I would expect that sort of thing is more like you need to use this bar set if you're going to spend the money on it in X number yes. of episodes, and so they get it in there. But I don't think that they're. I don't think they're dumb. I don't think the script is dumbed down. For one, I thought this was a pretty, good, pretty well written story. Yeah. Wayne, I think what's happening to to the point of what you're making is. I, I will say I've noticed what a lot of we've all discussed with a lot of the new production crew is when they try to get deep and um, emotional, they can be a little heavy handed with it just a little bit. And I think to your what your, your point, what you're saying, Wayne, is we had we had um, was it three episodes of a lot of action mm-hmm. and then they needed to do exposition and explanation. And it's as if they dumped it all in one episode, which made it seem a little heavy. It might have been better if they could have spread what we saw in today's episode out amongst the first three episodes. Because we talked about, like Alan and I talked a lot in Discovery, where they were literally about to die and they'd have this five, ten minute confessional. It just seemed awkward. And it's kind of like that here. But this time, instead of cramming in awkward dialogue in the middle of action, they use an entire (laughs) episode where they crammed in almost everybody's exposition (laughs) and Discovery Card talking to his son. Riker talking right. to Deanna, you know, all that. I think that's what it was. So I don't think it's the executives. I think the writers wanted to do this this way. But at the same time, you have a scene at the end where you're, you have two minutes until the next contraction. So you got to get that nacelle thing done. Uh-huh. And so then fake Jordy comes in. Fake LaForge, I should say. Fake LaForge mm-hmm. comes in, and I swear it took them more than two minutes to figure out that it's her and to shoot her. So, again, they are slowing down. They they have stated a timeline, and they're slowing it down in order to mm. do something that it, it should not have taken two minutes. Right. Uh, it just drives me nuts when they do it. It wasn't as egregious yeah. as it was in Disco. Disco used to just make me bananas with their yeah i agree I agree not as egregious but it did stand out a little bit today with this episode but i agree not as bad as on i have yeah. a question what did y'all think about before they come up with this they came up with the solution of riding the waves and all that stuff what did you think about how they were facing their deaths because there's always been there's always been different ways star trek has faced their death what i found interesting is when they thought for sure they were going to die there was no real announcement from the captain either captain to yeah. the crew you know mm-hmm. um 
I don't know. Wayne or somebody who's been in the military can tell me, of course, for, well, I don't know. Have you ever been in a we're going to die scenario? If you're going to die, I would think I would think that the captain would walk the ship and talk to the crew before they die. Yeah. I don't know. I just stay on the bridge and hang out. And then the other one go. Well, let's see. So you had three leaders, Picard, Shaw and Riker. And none of them like gave a message to the crew. None mm. of them walk the crew, you know, walk the floor talking to the crew. Is that how they would face death? It just seems strange to me. That's a very, very, very good point. I yeah, totally agree with you. And you know what else that just made me think of? It's a mm. damn shame. This is the one time you see a ship that ain't got no counselor on it. Oh, <laughs> good point. <Dude>. Troy <laughs> could have had point. an act. Troy could have had an actual job on the ship for one episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I, I at least remember in the um, in the excellent uh, first part of the two part in TNG, the best of both worlds. Mm-hmm. You remember the night before they were going to battle the Borg, Picard walked the ship. That's right. And Guinan called him on that. And he even talked to her. He said, I think before the Battle of Trafalgar in English history, that the captain of the ship walked the ship. And it was a tradition. Mm. But then mm-hmm. she said, yeah, but they easily did that before a hopeless battle. But I thought it was cool that he was walking the ship. I just yeah. thought it was weird that in this case, they thought they were going to die. And, and Picard goes into the bar to hang out with his son. Riker's just hanging out in the bridge. Shaw's walking around with his cane. No, no address to the entire crew or anything right. like that. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, I'm not going to yeah. fault Picard for trying to reconnect with his son that's for the true. first time that's in true. his entire life. And he's not in command, yes. When he's true. got two hours to, you know, basically know his kid. Yeah. I, I, I will say, though, I... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, I did, I did like the inspirational speech that Riker gave once they had a plan and he sort of got, got his, started to get his mojo back. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, you guys don't know me, but I know you and we're going to get through this. I like that. That's, I the, did that's too. the kind of Riker I want. I did too. I'm going to say, I didn't think that the other side of Picard spending two hours with his son in a bar, that flashback thing that they did Mm -hmm. where apparently the kid did look for his father five Uh years ago and found him in a bar and heard him say, the only family I need is Starfleet. That was a little... Cheesy is a little melodramatic. I don't know. Yeah. Yes. It and it's interesting and the how the, the fact that Picard remembered it at that moment. Right. Yes. You're right. Dumb. No. And that, yeah. that that flashback would have been before Picard season one. So it's interesting that the yeah. Picard of the when I mean, we were led to believe that he was sat in his chateau and turned his back on Starfleet. Yeah. That he's in a, a Starfleet bar essentially, like talking about how Starfleet's his only family. Right, and, but in in the first episode of Picard season one, they're like name exactly. Yeah, that young guy didn't even know, like, didn't recognize him. And here he's got people coming up to him in the bar. Oh, that's a good point. I didn't think it's about that. Sort of a, I'm not that it's necessarily wrong. Just it's an interesting contrast. I did like though that they use those season one uniforms for the flashback because usually they just create a uniform for all these flashbacks. <laughs> <laughs> but in this one, they had, they had the uniform that they had in season one. I thought it was a nice touch. You know, I, I, went down a, I, went, I went down a rabbit hole, a crazy rabbit hole when they kept doing the flashback and all those young, eager kids, to your guys' point, who for some reason recognizing this old uh, Starfleet um, officer. I wrote in my notes at first, was, are all these young kids uh, changelings? They just want to pick his brain for <laughs> yeah, battle tactics? I swear I thought they were they were a bunch of changelings pretending to be groupies. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. I, I think that a young Starfleet cadet or officer would recognize Jean-Luc Picard, though. With, oh, that's I true. Mean, he was Starfleet. also on the wall. He's like the one wall, of the most man. famous Starfleet officers <laughs> of the, the past few decades. Fine. But, but I you also think that any college student would know who the Beatles are, and some of them don't. <laughs> <laughs> but I do I do agree with Alan, and this is, you know, it's a personal thing, but as somebody who's adopted myself and I never I I met my birth father, but he died before I I knew it. He he visited me several times when I was an infant, so I never knew him. Mm. Oh but wow. yeah, I I agree with Alan that. First off, it's completely unfair to Jean-Luc for his son to judge him on, like, mm-hmm. like you said, Alan, a thing where he's trying to eat his haddock, and he just <laughs> says, Starfleet's the only family I need. It's not like he said, I hate kids, I never wanted a family, right. blah, blah, blah. Right. How the heck At least not right then. 
Yeah, so exactly. Yeah, he yeah. didn't like kids before. So I thought it was unfair for his son to judge him like that. And I blame Beverly for that. I really do. I thought that was just yep. because because her whole thing of, well, I told him he could meet you if he wanted to. But what she should have done was say, let's meet your father. Let's yeah. all sit down and talk about this. She just gives him information. Then he go drifts to find him in a bar. Like, good God. <laughs> so I, I didn't like that at all either. Mm. What he should have done, what I would have done if it had been my real life birth father, I would have gone up to him, bet, worst case, maybe with anger. I said, oh, seriously? Mm-hmm. Or, hey, guess yeah. what? But yeah, to use that one thing where it's unfair if Picard doesn't even know he's talking to and then say, well, that's why I didn't want to talk to you. And yeah. I didn't like that. Mm. All right, let me get some comments because we're only like, 10 minutes away from the end of the show. And right. our, our episode will be as long as the Picard episode this week. <laughs> um <laughs> Let's see. Dan Leckie says, I recently realized they had a faction slash subset as the villain every season of Picard with the androids and Romulans, not all androids, nor the Romulan Empire in season one, the Borg, not the collective in season two and now changelings in season three. That's interesting observation. Yeah, I'm not thought of that. That's very smart. That's a good point. But Mm -hmm. I also think it's a fair point because I think with the kind of people we're talking about. You're always going to have people who don't want to go along with the new the new regime. So I actually think it's incredibly yeah. fair that some of the changes are like bump this. Also, mm-hmm. we don't know how many of the changings who are involved with this are part of the 100 that were sent out. Remember, they sent out the 100 uh, changing babies. Um, right. They need to bring Lass back. Get JG Hertzler. <laughs> yes. Oh, that'd yes. be awesome. Yes. Yes. He's the face, and maybe he's the face. Yeah. Oh, that'd be so, I, I so cool. It's a good point, Dan, but it also makes sense and for people like that who basically ruled an entire sec- sector of the galaxy mm. to be like, no, why in the heck are we kowtowing to these primitive solids? Yeah. I see that. Makes sense. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, Wayne says, maybe it's just my weariness of Paramount execs stemming from TOS. Going back to a comment he made earlier. Um, mm. Michael Phillips, who is now chatting with us on YouTube, so now we see his name. Uh, favorite line of the episode, quote, at some point, asshole became a substitute for charm. I thought that was right. a great line, too. <laughs> Matt Sweatman says, I did also find the last third very thrilling and suspenseful. And yeah, and then that point where they finally come up with a plan and the whole, like, the whole score changes. The music, like, tells you this is going to be a, you're going to get, you're going to get excited again. Um, I felt like they didn't really cheat to resolve the mess they were in. Okay. Excellent. Wayne also says, you're right. Leadership principle. Keep your people informed. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. Elaine Sweatman. Hello, Elaine, hey, Elaine. Says, I did think it was a little odd that Riker was so resistant at first about Picard's plan to save them. He was so worried that if the plan failed, they would die. They were going to die anyway. That's exactly my thought. Um, mm-hmm. So why not try and escape or die trying? I agree. Yeah. My thought as well, Elaine. Yeah. That's why Riker was a little too much on the other side for me. Yeah. Although I will say it was cool when he threw the asteroid at a Vedic ship. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I right. That was awesome. Yeah, I think Riker's a bit paralyzed by the fear of get, of him make, doing something that gets all these people killed. Exactly. You know? So he's 100%, doing nothing. hundred percent. Yeah. Um. It, okay. Before I get to that, it's almost like if if we wait it out and we die, it's not my fault. If I take mm. action and they die, it's my fault. Right. It's exactly. almost like he's trying to avoid guilt, even though he'll be right. dead and he won't experience any guilt. Which is what anyway. Picard was t- trying to tell him. Yeah. But Picard was so frustrated and almost desperate to say, "Will do something." Hmm. Because starship captains don't sit around and wait for death to come to them. They just don't. Right. Um, Wayne says, this type of show really could use an advisor on military protocol. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Would you like to be a question? Uh, we can put in a good word for you and they'll hire you. <laughs> right. <laughs> we have pull. <laughs> yeah. We're podcasters. We have lots of pull. <laughs> I can't even get Paramount Plus to stop showing me ads, <laughs> much less effective productions. <laughs> well, that's, I think Wayne makes a good point because sometimes, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's kind of cool because the stuff they do in the Star in the Star Trek franchise shows they lift it from real life military, but sometimes it doesn't apply. For example, I'd imagine that in real life military in the Navy, when you have 
you have the con, which is a, an office that has windows, you probably would dim the lights in combat situations, especially at night, so that the enemy mm-hmm. can't see you. But mm-hmm. in space, you don't really need to dim the lights on the bridge when you go into no. red alert. So I think there's little things like that that they still hold over from real life military. It just seems cool, but I don't know how practical it is. Right. Yeah. He he expands on his comment by saying no military leader would wait around to die. I That's feel right. Like no one would wait around to die. And well, you know, the the shows have had scientific advisors before. It's not unreasonable for them to have military advisors. Agreed. That's a good point. Yeah. And and in Riker's defense, I mean, what he I was know. saying was that, I mean, Starfleet protocol is to, if your ship's disabled, sit tight and wait for rescue. Don't, yes. they probably have some kind of rule about don't do something crazy and get more people killed, like chill. And, you know, he's probably thinking that Starfleet's going to come looking for the Titan. They're, we're missing. Right. You know, know Charles? Yeah. You know what? I surprised myself because I try, ne- I try never to be like the typical fanboy kind of Star Trek guy. But I swear to gosh. When Riker said, according to Starfleet Protocol, I literally was like, hey, you can't do that. Captains don't quote Starfleet Protocol. You blast Starfleet Protocol. I'm, like, I'm not used to a leader who follows protocol and says right. it. So that actually shocked me. Well, I, I am a fanboy, so I don't mind. So I got a few points on that that I wanted to say real quick. Okay, fudge right. Jack Crusher's age. Uh, yes. Vanny Beth reported to us last week that he had said in an interview that he was 23 to 24. That's well, what I thought. Yeah. They keep saying that this this season is set in 2401 and Nemesis mm-hmm. was 2379. So it's only been 22 years. So they're fudging it by a few years at least. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because he would have been born before Nemesis, which would be very strange. Uh, also, the original Jack Crusher, this is the first time he's ever been referenced to as having been a classmate of Picard at the Academy. <laughs> it's been pretty accepted that Jack Crusher was... About about Beverly's age, like quite a bit younger than Picard, um, and like that mm. flashback that he recorded for Wes, he was like in his early twenties, mm. you know, mm-hmm. right? So, which isn't a uh, isn't a big deal or anything like that. Just interesting to note. I thought they did the same sort of thing with with Beverly and Nemesis when all of a sudden she recognized, <laughs> she acted like she knew Picard at the Academy when he showed her that Academy photo, which she wouldn't have. She'd been too young. Um, and then it's just, the Titan. I had talked about before how they're sort of being very cagey about whether it's a refit or whether it's a new Titan. And they had, right. they, had, they had this little story on Instagram where it sort of indicated that it was the components of the original Titan were re were put into this new ship. So it's sort of quasi new ship, but that seems to be what we're go- they're going with. They, they referenced that in this episode, but also Dave Blass on Twitter today shared an artist rendering of the two Titans side by side. And like, they're like both like 75% taken apart. Like they're taking mm. all the components from the old Titan and putting them into the new Titan for some reason. Mm. Well, I don't. Why I don't. Would you do that. I That's don't know weird. because for one, the the crew doesn't know how to work the twenty year old inside of the couplings, <laughs> which right. came up as a plot point in this episode. So I yes, don't know why did. you would do that. But there's been a lot of references. So I just thought I would mention that because it's just mm. from a nerd perspective, it's interesting that I mm-hmm. guess they're just saving a buck and reusing components from the old Titan and putting them in this new ship. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that was a that was a very slight plot slipped to me because as captain it was shaw's job to ensure that people on his ship could fix every part of that ship because he could have been he could have been killed and they would have been sitting there going i don't Mm -hmm. know how to work this well let's just say he was in the process of that they just hadn't finished (laughs) yet i guess (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, as captain, you don't want there to be any part of the ship that you're the only one who could fix. Right. You might be, you might be busy at the time. Yes, yeah. right. <laughs> you might be dead. Uh, True. That too. Um, we've only got a couple of minutes left, but I do want to talk <laughs> about, and we haven't gotten to this at all, the 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 further relationship that we saw this week between Seven and Shaw, mm-hmm. which I thought mm-hmm. was super interesting, yes. and I love their yeah. dynamic, yes. and yeah. they sort of come to a like a begrudging you know, respect for each other kind of thing. And mm-hmm. I thought that was really well done. I really enjoyed it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I'm hoping that his arc is going to end with him calling seven, seven and accepting her as a person so yeah. that I can love him because I keep, <laughs> I want to love him. You know what I mean? Right. Um, right. Cause he's a great actor and they're giving him great material to work with. Yeah. yeah. The character you love to hate right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, and I, I really liked, um, you know, the, the whole trip up with the changeling is that she called her, Commander Hansen instead mm-hmm. of Commander Seven, which she normally calls me that out of respect. That was a great like, line. Very pointed. I thought it right. was great. Yes, that was good. Um, Dan is oh wait, wait. Um 
let's see let me see okay um back to our previous topic um wayne says it grinds my teeth to hear them use military sound bites instead of actual terms and language okay. i can understand that michael Phil- Whoa. michael phillips says to no tiger i'm getting confused now he says to michael phillips <laughs> yet they are they use a pseudo protocol like our modern military quite often yes mm-hmm. dan like pseudo like military yeah 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 totally um, Dan Lecky is interested to know what we think of the aliens. They were the very babies, space babies that were born. They were end. very squiddy. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I thought it was space squids. I like it was some Star Trekky. It's not just yes. pew pew. You know, there's some Star Trek thing. They use the na- like nature and there's a birth and gave Riker some hope. And I thought it was good. Yep. I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. The yeah, music was very good, too. Mm-hmm. That's true. Um, he also says, I wish they'd have some reference to seven as para. It would refer to her original name. Okay. All right. So we're at the one hour mark. Mm-hmm. Wow. Amazing. I know. I, I was like, I told Chuck before we went live, I'm like, yeah, I don't know how much I have to say about this episode because I, I did enjoy it. <laughs> we had people that had a lot to say about this episode. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I really enjoyed this episode, but not as much as the previous three. That doesn't mean I disliked it. I didn't dislike it at all. Right. Uh, but I, I think but it's the, interesting. The, the, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. Cut you off. I'm done. I, I think it's interesting you say down because it was actually my least favorite of the season so far, but I yeah, still like. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt, I, I felt more the discovery sure. t- touch right. to it. And since I don't love discovery and some of the new track on uh, the new track showrunners, some of it turned me off a little bit, but I think it's awesome. Cause it, what, at least two people said it was their favorite by far yeah. of the season. I think that's great. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. And I love that everybody's joining us live for this. It makes it a lot of fun yeah. to get everybody's comments. Now, I know not oh, everybody can. So if you're watching yeah. or listening to this after the fact, um, if you can join us at 8, 8 p.m. Eastern on Thursdays, uh, drop by the Earth Station Trek YouTube or um, Facebook group, and we'd love to have you. If not, we have uh, a hotline where you can call in and record a message with your thoughts about an episode, your thoughts about the season, some Star Trek idea. Uh, or if you have a question of the week you want us to address on the show, we'd love to be able to get your voice onto the podcast as well. No one's going to answer when you call. It's just Veronica with a cute little message, and you could leave a voicemail. And the number for that is 307-387-1701, like the Enterprise. That's 307-387-1701. You can call the Earth Station Trek hotline. Uh, we'd love to get some, some – they'll just email us an MP3 of your message. We'd love to get it onto the show. Yeah, especially oh. questions of the week. Do that. That would be so fun to have a voice actually ask us the question of the week. That would be great. <laughs> yeah. You're going to so. check the voice line, Charles. You're going to hear something like, <clears throat> Your distance is ended. That's my- <laughs> Pursue. Pursue. <laughs> okay, I will. I will. I promise. <laughs> Okay, you guys got me seeing the Captain Vatican in a whole different light now. <laughs> oh, God, that's funny. Uh, all right, Alan, oh, where can people funny. find more of you? All right, well, um, I have another podcast on this very same network called Modern Musicology, and we have been we've in the middle of a string of great episodes this past week. Uh, well, actually, this week, we uh, put out an episode where we um, interviewed uh, a lady who was a photographer on the in the seventies on the LA punk scene, who used to hang out with Joan Jett and Blondie and all these wow. kind of people, and and was the the person who booked the Bangles' very first gig, and wow. she awesome. was amazing. It's one of my favorite interviews we've ever done. She was so cool. So go check that out, or you can find me at cosmiccreative.com. K-O-Z-M-I-C creative dot com. And Tigerblade is wondering if that podcast is on YouTube. It certainly is. Just search for Modern Musicology Podcast on YouTube and you'll find it. I'm gonna listen to that tonight. That sounds awesome. Now if he means if if he means live shows like we're doing this, uh no, we haven't done that yet, but I keep wanting us to. So we and might Alan, if, if you could display my comment if you're able to with the phone number so people can see it. Oh, um, yeah. Look at that. 307-387-1701 for the Earth Station Trek hotline. All right. Just remember the jingle. 307-387-1701. Engage. <laughs> Engage. 
<laughs> if you're on the audio podcast, you missed our little dance. But it was right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Keith, where can people find more of you? You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, primarily the ESO Network Facebook groups and our Earth Station track, of course, where now that I'm healing from all these problems I've had recently, I'm starting to post a lot more. So look yep. for me like every five minutes there. Yes. <laughs> every five How minutes. How about us, Veronica? <laughs> Felt nerdy. <laughs> One more time. Feltnerdy.com. And? Monkeying Around, a podcast about the monkeys. And we've got a couple of big episodes coming up of Monkeying Around. Mm-hmm. Do you want to? Pull, we, we have a big guest who yep. we interviewed, and the interview was the interview was so well. Like I was motioning to Veronica about an hour that we need to start, you know, wrapping it up, be respectful of time. And then he went and got his guitar, and, oh, no. <laughs> and it went for almost another hour. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> so, awesome, Veronica. Who was our guest? We had Marty Ross of the New Monkeys. Yes, he has podcast. a lot of. Really interesting Hollywood experiences of his 15 minutes of fame as being one of the new monkeys. <laughs> and you know, like on, on, including on, a Star Trek connection. That's true. But also wow. like the Star Trek cast, there was a lot of pushback from the original monkeys and the the fans mm-hmm. at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now we know the next generation cast were able to stay on the air, find their feet, push through it. The new monkeys weren't. They were canceled after 13 episodes. Right. So dealing with that over 30 years and his relationship with monkeys fandom has been really interesting. And also his relationship mm. with Hollywood. It was just a super interesting and fun interview. Um, he and he's so much energy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. We so could have, cool. I can't wait. To hear <laughs> we didn't, we like ask three yeah. questions and so, then he just like, so that'll be going. the next two episodes of the monkey in Realm <laughs> podcast. So nice. I it. it's that's been a lot super fun. cool. That's yes. going to be so awesome. All right, Veronica, do you have a closing for us this week? Yes. Let's boldly get the hell out of here. (laughs) (laughs) Not only were you prepared, but it is the perfect line to end the show with. Thank you for listening to Earth Station Trek. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a positive rating. You can also send us feedback at earthstationtrek at gmail.com. You can join in the fun on our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter. You can also visit us online at earthstationtrek.podbean.com. We'll see you next time. Live long and prosper. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.